Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Sponsored by Max Muscle Sports Nutrition. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me on the floor of the Kings practice facility is Mr. Ben McLemore. Ben, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm excellent. You guys just got done with this crazy stretch. Seven games. I mean, 11 games, 17 days. Uh, it's been a whirlwind, a ton of road games, a ton of back-to-backs. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing great. I mean, um, tough loss um, in Portland, but, you know, we bounced back. Uh, we had a great practice, uh, not contact practice, but um, we definitely got a, a lot of work in, a lot of um, back-to-basic stuff, and, you know, we're doing um, pretty good job, and we, we decided to bounce back on and get ready for San Antonio. How difficult is it for you guys going through this stretch where mm-hmm. uh, you know that every single night you've got another game, there's no yeah. time to practice, there's no time to sort of reset yourself, it's just right back at it? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean we know it's going to be tough a little bit, but uh, we're prepping ourselves each and every day to prepare ourselves for these games and, you know, all these games on the road and other things like that. And, you know, Coach doing a great job of, um, you know, continuing us, prepping us, little things like that to get us ready to prepare for these games. So uh, we're definitely ready. How difficult has it been for you? This is your your fourth year in the mm-hmm. league, and this is your fourth head coach. And yes. Everyone wants something different. Everybody yeah. wants something new and wants you to be a different person, a different type of player. How difficult has that been for you? Um, it's, it's been difficult um, throughout the years. Um, but other than that, um, continue to be a pro, coming in every day, um, doing the best I can, you know, uh, doing whatever coach asked me to do on both ends of the floor, being a two-way player. and. You know, working on my game and better myself each and every day. Um, like I said, these past couple of years has been tough, but at the same time, being a pro, coming in, doing I'm doing my job, and you know, preparing myself, you know, um, being ready for my name's been called going out there and you know, playing the game of basketball. Over the last couple of seasons, you've had no problems uh, starting. You, uh-huh. You've started a ton of games, but this year's a little different. You're fighting for minutes you, mm-hmm. every night. You, you're not sure if you're going to play 10, if you're going to play 30, if you're going to play at all. How, how difficult is that is to come in and prepare, prepare every single day? Um, you know, just prepping myself, being able to uh, tell myself, uh, just be ready at all times. And that's what I've been, um, you know, preparing myself and always being a pro and being ready at all times. Still supporting my teammates if I'm not out there or if I'm playing them in the minutes and little things like that, but I'm always ready and prepared on when my numbers call. I know you talked about this earlier, that your uh-huh. teammates are really, really trying to keep you up and keep mm-hmm. your head up and your yeah. spirits going. How has that been for you this year? It's been great. Um, the vice versa, um, same way with me, um, you know, supporting my teammates and my teammates supporting me. And that's just um, building the confidence they have in me and you know, have in myself. And I got to continue to do that each and every day, and that's what I've been doing. How have you adjusted to Coach Yeager specifically? Do you like his style of play? It's it's not a free-flowing system like yeah. you've had in the past, but it's very sort of refined, lots of cuts, lots of learning. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm learning a lot from Coach Yeager and his staff. Um, I'm definitely fitted in pretty good in you know, different places on the floor that I know in his, into his offense that um, helps me, you know, help my game that's um, 
intervene into my game, and I think um, it definitely helped me on both ends of the floor, especially defensively. Knowing that's his, his main key um, out there on the floor is defense, and you know that's how you get your minutes and to stay on the floor. And I got to continue to do that, um, work my butt off, and each and every day. When you see Coach Chakufis, uh it seems like you and him have some sort of connection this year. You've made a bunch of nice passes to him. Mm-hmm. Different. We've seen you take guys off the dribble and find guys that are cutting. Yeah. How hard is it when you are mixing and matching all of these 12 players and yeah. trying to find sort of your place in this world on this team? I mean, I mean, like you said, uh, these last couple of years have new teammates each year and uh, new coaching staff and things like that. Um, it's, it's tough to adjust, but... Um, been around 2K for the last couple of years and understand where he like to be on the floor, where he knows where I like to be on the floor and, you know, having that um, relationship and, you know, not just with 2K, with all the bigs and stuff like that and, you know, just being able to um, pick my spots on the floor and being able to be there where I'm supposed to be and, and he knows that and all the other bigs know this too and then just kind of, you know, play with the flow of the game. Is your confidence still at an all-time high? Yeah, like, yeah, tremendous. Like I said, my, my coaches and my teammates doing a great job, and I'm continuing to do what I got to do, which is helping me continue to do my confidence, being a pro and being active on both ends of the floor and being able to just going out there and play the game of basketball and just having fun on, you know, whatever it is, the situation I'm going, I'm going to be ready. Okay, I, I know that you found your home around the 18 to 20 foot jump shot this year, which really in George Carl's system, you weren't even allowed to take. <laughs> but you seem to really find that as sort of a niche where you can excel yeah. uh, as as opposed to you know just driving to the basket or just shooting the, the three-point yeah. shot. Has right. that helped you to sort of build your confidence? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I can say that, uh, you know, I think, you know, being able to hit the 18 footer, um, especially with guys locking trail in me, being able to curl, hit the uh, mid-range, and continue to, you know, go to the basket, whatever it is, the case is. So, uh, you know, I think it's definitely helping you and giving me uh, a great rhythm into the game, find the flow in the game. And, you know, I just got to continue to do that and, you know, just find the flow into this offseason. When you look at this five-game stretch ahead mm-hmm. of you, it's absolutely brutal. It's some of the best in the West. How, how tough is it to look at that and say, you know, we're at home, but we got to get some of these. We got to get some of these wins to get back to 500. Correct. Um, you know, we just got to protect home. You know, this is home, and, you know, that's what we got to do. And like you said, it's a little five-game stretch. But at the end of the day, we just got to um, protect home. And, and, and these games we definitely need. Cool. All right, that's Ben Macmore. Thanks for coming in. Uh, no problem. Thank you for having me. Welcome back to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast, brought to you by Max Muscle. Joining me in this second portion of the podcast, the talkback portion of the podcast, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. AB, it's been a long week, man. It's been a long, long week. Yeah, this week never ended. It started really strangely, and then it never ended. And so... I, for one, I'm happy to talk about Kings basketball. Some people like to say that it's been hard to talk about the Kings for the last couple of years because, you know, all the craziness that generally surrounds this team. But I find them to be strangely calm and reassuring. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just throw it out and have a political debate right here, right now, right now. <laughs> it's on. Can we uh, not? Because, I mean, that's all that I ever see anymore. So I just I just don't yeah. want to do that right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think all of us uh, need a break from reality and not the type of break from reality that is happening outside of the sports world. Uh, so let's get to it, Aaron. We've got so much stuff to talk about. The Kings had a okay week. They had a 2-2 two and two week. 
You know, Aaron, the thing that sticks with me is if somehow they don't collapse during the Lakers, they're five and six. If somehow they don't collapse versus versus the Portland Trailblazers and give up a 13-0 run in the fourth quarter and then lose in overtime, then they're six and five. And we aren't feeling this, oh my goodness, what's going to happen uh, with this team at four and seven. So I think there are positives and there are negatives to take away from this week. But what's your overall just like quick, quick feeling on this week of basketball? The quick feeling that I, your point about the the swing in that Lakers game and and what the two realities would be if they had won that game versus what happened, that's probably the point I should make. But I want to dig a little deeper. And I felt like for all the good things that Dave Yeager is doing, and he's doing a lot of good things, folks. So if I if I pick this one little thing here, I don't think that it is going to sully the job that he's done. Is when they they stuck with Ty Lawson late in the second quarter of that Lakers game, it completely flipped the game. And this, in this league, sometimes things can be painful. They, they can be bigger than you might have thought they'd be at the time. And the team never really recovered from that. And that one thing just kind of spun, not the season, that, that's obviously too much, um, there's definitely time to turn things around and they ended up doing that a little bit in Portland, but it really put a lot of pressure on them in a bad way because the national narrative started to kick in. People started firing up their trade stories and and it just kind of put the Kings back into that spot where Kings fans, they definitely know how it feels. Yeah. Everybody's coming after them. Dogs, and so, cats living together, complete chaos. Yes. And I yeah. thought if they could have just not done that one thing and then in the third quarter, peeled back Lawson's minutes, then I think things would have been different in that game. Well, here's the issue I see with Lawson, because you and I, we're going to have differing opinions all the time, and I'm not on any Ty Lawson bandwagon. Let's be honest. First of all, he came into the Lakers game 0 for his previous 15. He hadn't hit a shot in three games, Aaron. And then he goes four of six and scores 11 points in the Lakers game, which you're circling as the game where he killed them. (laughs) The one game that was actually not absolutely horrific. And then he comes back in the next night and he goes 0 for 4 again. So basically in four of the five games, he went 0 of 19 from the field and had a a horrible week. And I'm not going to defend the fact that he is collapsing the defense on DeMarcus Cousins and Rudy Gay. That he is his it's not just his inability to not hit shots, because he's actually he shot a little bit better this week than he had in previous weeks. He's actually shooting over thirty percent from three now. Uh, but he's I think he's shooting like thirty one percent from the field. His inability to just put the ball in the basket because he's freaked out. You can see it. It's the most painful thing to watch I've seen in such he is Chuck Noblock. He is Steve Sachs. He's lost his mojo, man. And it's so frustrating to watch because I don't think he's done as a player unless he can't get over the psychological hurdles. But he is either getting blocked at the rim and it's because he's not just flashing and going or he's bricking wide open shots which which the Kings are creating for him. I don't blame Dave Yeager for going with him in that third quarter because on the offensive end for the first time in a long time, he was actually clicking. It's just you had to ignore the fact that D'Angelo Russell was was just shooting over the top of him on the other end. 
And if you can ignore the defensive issue, and I don't think it was a lack of effort or a lack of skill. It was a lack of height. And if you can ignore that for just a few minutes and say, look, if a guy who's six foot five goes and backs you down and shoots over the top of you again and again, number one, throw someone, run someone at D'Angelo Russell and try to stop that. But I thought that Lawson in that quarter offensively started to look a little bit more like Ty Lawson. And if you're Jaeger, how do you balance that? Pulling a guy who has major confidence issues when he's playing well on the offensive end and pulling a guy when he's playing poorly defensively. It, it's a conundrum. I, I don't know what, what Jaeger was supposed to do there, but I do know that he relied on Darren Collison for 37 minutes a game. And coming out of this four-game break, this four-day break, where they, they have a mystical 11 games and 17 nights and then a four-day break in the schedule before they play Murderer's Row, just the worst schedule in the NBA. But if Dave Yeager doesn't come out of this with Darren Collison as a starting point guard, I think it's because he's worried about the psyche of Ty Lawson, but I also don't think he's doing the right thing. See, now I'm going to differ on the offensive side just because if you isolate his shot making, some of the things he did well on the, the rest of the plays, I, I, I feel like the defense is he's just easier to defend. And so, you know, looking at that, when you when you when you put Darren Collison in in his place, everything opens up. And so I don't I don't that, disagree. I don't disagree. all that stagnancy that you saw in that third quarter. And in late in the second quarter and, and how it impacted them and stole their mojo from them. And so even when Darren Carlson got in, I mean, and, and a lot of people want to talk about his missed shots. It, frankly, it's a make or miss league. And if the action to get the shot was a good one and, you know, everything was copacetic through the process and he misses the shot. I'm not I'm not worried about that. I mean, shooters are going to shoot and over the over time, their percentage is going to kick in. He just the offense doesn't go anywhere with him running it. And so that's a that's because a he won't shoot the open shots, but b the defenses aren't respecting him. And so I just think that he wasn't giving you anything. Whether you're talking about defense, and we could disagree on the offensive side, but you know, it was a decision where I think Jaeger, if he could ha- if he could do it again, he'd have probably said, you know what, I'll play Ty for four minutes, see how it goes, pull him, and then give Darren the majority of the minutes. Or figure out some other rotation, but it, it was a big, it was a big swing and a miss because it's a national TV game. It's the rival Lakers. I mean, the fans went nuts after the loss. It really created a lot of inertia. It was a pivot point for the season, and yeah, you can recover from that. But as you mentioned, you do have Murderers Row coming up in terms of the schedule, and nobody's going to pin a button on your shoulder, you know, say, "Oh, hey, those teams are really hard." You know, you're looking at four and seven. You could come out of that four and ten, and and the stories are going to keep coming, and that's the thing. Everybody has been waiting to hit send on those stories, right or wrong, for Kings to have these type the Kings to have these types of losses. So, it it was a little painful to watch, but you know you go into this Portland game, and you see these guys really really pull it together, and I mean you, you didn't expect anything out of them. The, the way that they fought in that game and the way that they looked, I mean, I haven't seen Rudy Gay play like that in years. In I don't even, it might have been his best game, I mean, since his Memphis days. He's been so, so good. He has. 
that was that was uplifting. You know, Darren Collison, he clearly showed his value in the in defending Damian Lillard. Uh, I mean, it was it was something else. And Garrett Temple, I mean, you you can see a great lineup with these guys. If you go Darren Collison, Garrett Temple, and and then the rest of the lineup all the way through, you you've got a really nice balance of scorers and defenders. And you know, so I I, I think that they're onto something there. But, you know, whether he starts or not, Darren Carlson starts or not, I'm not too worried about it because, frankly, they need scoring with that second unit. If they stagger it and give Darren 35 and then give Ty 20 or, or, or 16 minutes a game, you know, I, I think that's not a bad strategy. This is not a team where you can do a five-man line change. It's just not. And, I and you know, Jaeger and, and a lot of the players are struggling with the fact that they have 12 able able body NBA players and they can't fit all 12 on the field on the court. And I, I know the frustrations are boiling over. You talk about people, you know, piling on and, you know, Omri Caspi, Hey, look, I'm going to be honest with people. Like he's frustrated. But when I, when I text him the other night on Saturday night and I said, look, have you demanded a trade? And he said, absolutely is absolutely false. Zero, you know, it, it it's absolutely false. I did not demand a trade. But he's frustrated, and I know him very well. I talk to him almost every pregame. We have a conversation. He's frustrated. He's looking at this saying, look, at some point, you know, I thought I was the future here, that I was maybe even the heir apparent at the small forward spot. And if not, I'm like your sixth man. And all of a sudden, I'm the 12th man on the roster. Like, how in the world did this happen? And why am I not getting a shot? And, you know, I've shot over 40% from three for the last two years. I'm not a bad defensive pit player. I, I get out on the break and, and I do good things. You're complaining about the the fo- the the wings and the small forwards and the, the guards and the wings not getting back and getting rebounds. But Caspi's averaging like 4.3 rebounds in like four. 15 minutes a game so he's actually doing a really nice job on the rebounding as well and he's like what am I doing wrong and it's really unfortunate he hasn't really done anything wrong he just missed a week of training camp and then another couple of days because he got sick and then once the season started he got sick again and missed another couple of days and he's fallen out of the rotation and I feel for the guy because he's a free agent at the end of the year but at the same time I think the Kings are better with him in the rotation than they are with some of these other pieces. And they're still, Jaeger is still trying to figure it out. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you do have a lot of equally talented guys there. And I think if they're winning, you know, a lot of that goes, you know, away. That's the, that was the painful part about the Laker game is if they did win that game, the narrative would have been so much different. They would have been an up and coming, improving team, done it yeah. on national TV. And, and then you get the frustrations and you've been seeing that. I, I don't think Willie has been kind of himself since the beginning of the year. He's not playing like, you know, the Willie Cauley Stein that we saw at the end of last year. So uh, lack of minutes is a problem for not just the Kings, but you look across the league and it's a problem for a lot of guys. Um, so, you know, where do you go and what do you do? I think you do have to make some tough decisions if you're Vlade Divac. You know, you're you're looking at, you know, Ty Lawson. If he's not going to be effective, you know, and that was the other thing, looking at Jordan Farmar play, and I personally, you know, all things considered, I think that Jordan Farmar is a better fit for this team 
than Ty Lawson. I'm not going to go to war over that. I think they're pretty equal in terms of their their abilities. With Jordan uh, Farmar, he adds a little shooting, can play a little bit of pick and roll, and with the team needing offense, you might look in that direction here. If if Ty can't pull it together, you know that's one less 20 minute you know bucket that that's getting taken away from the entire rotation. You got Ben McLemore and, and Costa Kufos and. With Costa, you almost have to keep him around because you need that second big in today's NBA. If DeMarcus gets into foul trouble, I mean, he's going to be on the floor for 15 minutes a game. So he's not going anywhere. Um, so really, you're just looking at Ben almost as the guy that, you know, theoretically could be movable, minus this stuff that's out there in the media, you know, about potential trade this and potential trade that. Any team is looking at trades all the time, but. You know, are the, are the Kings really going to deal these guys at their low point? Are you really going to deal Willie Cauley-Stein at a low point right now? Or, or even without really knowing what you have? I don't know. It I, would I, have that... to be the perfect deal. And it would have to be like if somehow uh, Phoenix came to you and said, look, we'll, we'll give you Brandon Knight for Willie Cauley-Stein and Ben McLemore. And you gotta, and maybe the Kings have to throw in one other like middle of the road player there. Um, that's something that you you look at and you say, okay, I clear up, you know, maybe even it's Ty Lawson after December fifteenth. It you clear up a glut at the at one position and you free up other things, and I, you know, the it's so confusing what they should do because I I mean clearly we can see it that that Jaeger is trying to rely so heavily on Matt Barnes because he thinks that's what will help him and that's what will get him through. I mean, I personally, I think Matt Barnes is playing way too many minutes for this team. I think he's had some brilliant games, and then I think he has games where it's like, that's a 36-year-old guy who's playing on the second night of a back-to-back, and it's not working at all. And that's, I think, where you need the balance. You need to balance out... How do you, if Tolliver is a guy or Caspi's a guy, how do you balance that guy into this rotation? And I thought it was interesting. You talked about the the Portland game. They they didn't use Garrett Temple at all in the first half, and they ran with Caspi instead. And they, like, go ahead, do your thing. But he he played well. He just didn't get any shots. I think he was like one of two from the field. And it I can see like when these guys are coming in. They're so amped up, still trying to earn their minutes that it's become like, you know, I think big guys can come in and earn their minutes by hitting glass hard and and swatting hard at at block shots and you know to try to block shots and I think they can earn their minutes in the post that way. But shooters come in and if they're just a little bit too amped up, every ball clanks, every ball rolls off the rim just the wrong way. Even the bunnies don't want to go in when you're a perimeter player. And so they really do have to define this. And I, I talked to Jaeger on Sunday, and he said, look, we kind of, we've decided the way we're going to go for, for a while. And we've told the guys that aren't going to play, and this is it. This is the way we're going to go for right now, and we'll, we'll see what happens. And I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means that Caspi's out of it. And like what he's got is all he's going to get. And now it's a situational thing. If someone gets hurt or if Tolliver's out of it, or if Ben McLemore's out of it, or if Willie Cauley Stein is out of it, it's just really, really difficult to try to do this on the run without any practice with, 
with a, an extremely difficult schedule early. And then again, the next five games are just, I mean, it's something like San Antonio, uh, Toronto, OKC, uh, Houston. Oh, you got And the Clippers. Right. And the Clippers. That's the five teams. And you could easily go 0-5. And, and this team has to figure out how to manage that. But at the same time, you kind of need everybody still in it, still ready to fight, and not just kind of sitting back and saying, well, I guess I'm done for the next six weeks. Well, this is why the Ty Lawson thing is so important, is because the game is slowed down for the Kings. They're they're not running, and that's good. That's a smart move with the personnel that they have. But <clears throat> players thrive on scoring. Their defense is absolutely connected to their offensive um, their touches if they score or not I'm sure there's studies that have proven this you know more involved players want to play harder defense when the offense stagnates the way that it does it has this kind of doubling effect so if you're a role player and you're not getting a lot of minutes you're also getting less chances for production and when it stagnates even further you know, your, your pace is already slowed down. When, when the percentages go down, now you're really in a, in a tough spot. You're not really able to make the contributions that you'd like to make, a la Omer Caspi probably feels this way. And so you've got to get this one piece figured out. Yes, you knew Darren Coulson was eight, out eight games. And, and you can roll the dice on, on Lawson, and it is what it is. But now, you know, you, you do have options, and – you gotta you gotta take a hard look at that, and it's not time to. to the thing with gambling is you gotta know when you got a bad bet, and you gotta know when to pull your money off the table, and that's the thing right now. You know maybe they can make it work with Lawson. He's definitely a more durable player than a guy like Jordan Farmar. If you're talking about 20 minutes per game for the rest of the season, but um, you know you do have quite a few players that can handle the ball, and no, none of them are point guards, and no, Garrett Temple is not a prototypical point guard, but I'm telling you, if you have Darren Collison handling for 35 minutes a game, and then you need to fill in 15 minutes with Aaron Aflalo handling the ball, Rudy Gay handling the ball, DeMarcus Cousins handling the ball, and then a little bit of Garrett Temple, I mean, you can find ways to piece this together and, you know, get better value, get better defense on the floor, um, you know, just have better respect offensively because, you know, it you got to defend Garrett Temple at the three-point line. You got to defend Aaron Aflalo at the 19-foot line. You know, you got to defend Rudy Gay at the three-point. You got to stretch the floor for those guys. Um, with with Lawson, everybody's going under screens. He can't drive because they know he's not going to shoot. And so, that's the big to me. That's the one thing that might unlock a little bit of the stress and pressure on a lot of these guys that aren't getting their touches, and they're not getting their minutes, and they're not getting their numbers. Yeah, because I think what we thought coming into this season that we were actually going to see Darren Collison play a handful of minutes at the two and Ty Lawson and Darren Collison in the same backcourt, they just faced one of the best uh, one-two combos in the NBA. Uh, you know, Lillard and McCollum are playing at such a high level right now. They're averaging, combining for over 50 points a night, and you never saw the combo of Lawson and Collison. And if there were ever a moment where you were going to do it, that was probably it. And I don't think Call, uh, Lawson has been so horrible on the defensive end. I think one game we've seen him get lit up over the top where someone's like started you know, dominating him with, uh, with a bigger player. 
Outside yeah, of let's that. be clear. Let's be clear. He's been playing with effort and he's been getting his hands in passing lanes and getting deflections. It's just he's small. It's not, you know, it's not on, it's he's just not big enough. And it's so you, you I don't want to pile on him in that regard. He's definitely shown good energy out there. And I also think that at this point, Darren Collison is a 33 to 35 minute a game guy anyways. And so that means you're looking at 13 to 15 minutes for Ty Lawson if that's the way it goes. And that if he starts playing extremely well and he finds his mojo, then you have the ability to go steal five or eight minutes over at the two guard position where Collison slides over and now you got more minutes for Lawson. So I'm not ready to like pull the plug on the Ty Lawson situation. I'm not going to argue with you. I, I do believe that it's very possible that Jordan Farmar would be a better fit for this team. And I liked what I saw from Farmar because it's no holds barred. It's reckless abandon. And he's just going for it. And I, I like that where I just see this this hesitation in Lawson. It's really, to me, honestly, Aaron, it's sad because he's not a bad player. He just has a, it, it is clearly a psychological issue that's stopping him from going back to being that player that was averaging, what, 16 and 9 like two years ago. He's right there. He just can't figure out his confidence. His confidence is shot. And that, to me, I've seen players lose their confidence before, but not like this. It's, to me, it's it's something different. It's something that, like I, I, I brought up Chuck Noblock, and that's what, it, it feels like that. It feels like when Steve Sachs, stopped being able to throw to second uh, from second base to first base and when Noblock stopped being able to throw from second base to first base that's what it feels like to me yeah that's absolutely right and you know I'll say this coming out of that Portland game one thing that I did see that you know for if you're prognosticating the future and looking at this this team and seeing what they could be I think they and I'm completely changing the subject here so sorry about that but they have something in Darren Collison and Garrett Temple together. That offensive front court for the Blazers is between is after Steph and Clay, those two are the guys. I'm I'm I might send me in your 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 backcourt that you think might be better than those two, but those guys shut they didn't shut them down, but they were they defended them as well as they can be defended. And I wonder, you know, you've got a heavy usage score in Demarcus, you have a heavy usage score in Rudy. Collison is your your three guy, and do you really need more scoring on the floor? And can you run a lineup where you have Temple out there? You throw a Flalo maybe at small forward, go Collison or probably Cousins at center and, and Rudy Gay at the four, and roll out a very athletic but a very defensive backcourt. And with with a Flalo losing his quickness, he can actually defend threes in this league. And that might be a better spot for him. And now you start to have this really unique, you know, spread of, of shooting and, and athleticism and scoring. And it, it's something I think the thing that the Kings ought, ought to look at and, and really involving Garrett Temple as kind of a utility knife in this situation. I can see that, but I can also like my counterpunch to that would be Ben McLemore's actually been pretty good. And just blindly taking the minutes from Ben McLemore. And so what you have to do, again, this is the struggle for Dave Yeager. Is it Ben McLemore? Is it Anthony Tolliver? Is it Omri Caspi? Is it Willie Cauley-Stein? Which of these guys lose their minutes? And, you know, again, I think 
Costa Kufis has had moments where he's playing. I mean, Costa's playing 20.6 minutes a night. I don't think anyone saw that coming. And I think you can steal, unfortunately, again, Costa's my guy. He's a super, super good guy. But is he more of a started up for six minutes in the first half and six or seven minutes in the second half? And then if you need him within, with, uh, with foul trouble to come in, is he a better player to have in that situation to balance out the roster and then take that extra eight minutes and use it sort of either develop Willie Cauley-Stein or to get Ben McLemore back on the floor or to get to get Omri Caspi, your best three-point shooter, back on the floor. I mean, there has to be some sort of give and take here. And that is really, it, it's what Jaeger has to be just like pulling his hair out. Like, I, I would love to tell you something different. But again, you know, Matt Barnes playing 20, he's playing 23.6 minutes a night. I don't think anyone expected that. And I don't know that uh, certain nights Matt Barnes deserves that. But for the most part, Matt Barnes has either played like seven to 10 minutes a night in like two or three games, or he's played like 30 and he's eating up a huge chunk. I think to be fair with Matt, there was a couple of times where he was one of the best players on the floor for the Kings. And then recently he's been pretty bad. And so, I'm gonna ask this so, Aaron, is he the best player? Is he one of the best players on the floor, or does he understand what Dave Yeager's system is better than anyone else? And so he appears that way because everyone else is doing something sort of the, like one of these kids is doing his own thing. Three of these I, kids are kind of the same. I think with 23 minutes a game, he's fine. Like that's where you want him to be. If you want to even go lower, you can go lower. But he's also a guy that's not afraid to shoot. He knows when to shoot, and. The rotation, sometimes what he and Aflalo do is just just really, really good. Those two play really well together on the weak side. Yeah. So I, I don't think that and his minutes are not the issue, and I think Costa is a six-minute start, six-minute start guy for the first and third quarters. Really, this is everything is really kind of hinging on Willie Cauley-Stein here because he's your, your lottery pick. He looks lost as, as lost as anybody can be. And I, I, I kind of just want to throw this out there to the listeners is, if you could pick one player on the Kings squad that might get lost and completely lose their place in things, which player would it be? And it's going to be Willie. And or that's just ben. the way it's one of the or two. Ben. Yeah. Or Ben, but really it's Willie to me because Willie, like you, you watch him see the game and he, he, if it's not clicking for him, he looks like a deer in headlights, but the minute it clicks for him, then he starts getting aggressive, and it's like two different players. And we have not seen that player for, for maybe five minutes here, you know, two minutes there. And I think with Willie, you got to keep feeding him the minutes, and you're not going to see that probably here for the next like two weeks. But eventually, it's going to click for him, and then I think he'll be ready to take on 20 minutes. And then you'll just see from there can he continue to expand that role? Because he's one of the guys that makes them special on defense. Um, he's been terrible rebounding and that is more, I think a function of his apprehension. He doesn't know where to stand. He doesn't know where to go. And I think also he's lost a little bit of his juice. Like he's as frustrated as a lot of guys that aren't playing. And so to the fact, to the idea that there's Willie Cauley Stein rumors, you know, uh, if, if you ask which guy in the team could handle trade rumors, we all said it was Rudy Gay, which guy in the team would you also then say might not be able to handle tra- trade rumors outside of DeMarcus would be maybe a guy like Willie Cauley-Stein, a younger player who you know might look at that and say, hey, you know what? I thought I was the guy here. I'm in all the commercials, but I'm not even playing. What's going on here? You know, it's a major changeup for me. You know, I'll say this about Willie. He is the most instinctual player that the Kings have. 
Like he plays the game on pure instincts. And I like that because it it's the same thing that actually causes him to smack the backboard and break his fingers. He's just playing on his natural, like flying all over the place and, and being instinctual. At the same time, I think he got so lost in trying to be a better offensive player and try to trying to learn the system that he just completely got overwhelmed. And we've seen that before with him where he he just his he gets filled up to the brim and he can't handle anymore. And you're trying to jam more into him but you can't get it. So I think number one, instinctual. Number two, he can be overwhelmed very quickly. Number three, he played in George Carl's dribble drive motion offense at Kentucky for three years. Vance Wahlberg handed that system to John Calipari. It's what they've run. He's called a rim runner. It's all that he's ever known as a college player and as a professional. And he was late to basketball as well. So he was a huge football player in high school he, he was a good basketball player, but not a great basketball player in high school. And then when he stepped up to this, to now he's he's got to relearn the game of basketball entirely. Not like a little bit. He has to fully relearn the game of basketball. And so like when rumors popped up, it doesn't actually, it makes sense that the Kings would say he's a square peg in a round hole and he might not ever work here. And we might actually go look. But I've got a strong denial from inside. Like, look, we are not trading Willie Cauley-Stein. This is, this is crazy. He's our one of our best young defensive players, and we'd like to build around him. Yeah, I'm getting kind of mixed messages, but I think that all fall, falls into the any players. I hate this quote now because of the whole George Carl thing, but any player is tradable if you're not named Michael Jordan. Um, I, I think that that this is kind of a what I look at and see is I see some dislodging efforts from you know other teams, other agents, and it's nothing new for Kings fans. And so one way, if you want to get it to Marcus Cousins, is is you could maybe just try to get somebody else into this trade rumor mill, and and try to loosen up things within the Kings, and you know maybe see if you can get something going for Willie Cauley Stein, and then other things can happen. So. I think that there's a lot of wheels moving in the background and, you know, you're going to just continue to see this And kind of the larger point I see with all of this is the Kings just have to stay together. It's kind of like our nation right now. You know, everybody's <laughs> got to just stay together because all the divisiveness is really working against every single one of us. So the minute that we pull apart, then, you know, that's when things could go wrong. And for the Kings, they just have to, within all of these forces that might want to pull them out of, you know, pull DeMarcus Cousins out of Sacramento, you know, try to find a deal for Rudy Gay and all these things that, you know, reasons to run away, so to speak, you know, they got to just pull together and and keep that going well, because uh, Willie Cauley-Stein is going to slowly get this. And when he gets it, he's going to have a much higher value, not in, not in just the trade market, but for the Kings. And you know, Ben McLemore, you talk about Ben McLemore, he does have a different look to him this year. Now, he's still not consistent, and it's debatable whether or not he should be getting a consistent, significant role for this team. Um, you know, I'm, I'm of the mind that I think if you're trying to win games right now and establish culture, I think that you do have to have Garrett Temple out there for at least 25 minutes a game. And if Ben's minutes suffer as a result of that, that's fine. And, and if, you know, looking across the rotation, I do think that, you know, with Costa's minutes, if you can start to limit those a little bit, 
and you can nibble around the edges and, and, and decrease Matt Barnes minutes and give him nights off so he can stay fresh. And then you're looking at if you do end up getting rid of a Ty Lawson or cutting his minutes back to something like 16 minutes per game, you can start to feed these guys the minutes that they need. Aaron Fall can get his 27 minutes per game. Rudy can get his 33, 34 minutes per game. Everybody can get a kind of a significant role in this thing, but um, they do have to stay together and and it will look a lot better to all of them when they are winning rather than these, um, you know, the painful losses like the, the Lakers loss. Okay, and, and I'm going to back that up and say we're going to go back to the same point again. Four and seven feels really, really crazy. Five and six is like, okay. Six and five, everyone is like jumping you know, from the ceilings to go get their their Kings tickets for this week so they can go watch San Antonio and see if the Kings got it and see if they can fight through this. And, you know, how, how are they going to handle this five-game skid? I mean, this five-game uh, homestand, which is just, again, it's absolutely brutal. But it, it's a perceptive a perception thing. And I'm just going to keep pointing this out. It's a perception from the outside. Talking to Matt Barnes talking to just about everyone else on this roster they all like each other they all consider themselves family right now although they're a family that's still coming together they've done a lot of team building they've done a lot of work together and no one is is freaking out except for maybe caspi who just hasn't got to play at all and who's in a free agency year and who also loves the city of Sacramento, expected to be a long-term, you know, facet here in Sacramento, and all of a sudden things have gone really, really haywire for him. He might be the only guy that's saying, "Hey, look, where's Omri Caspi's moment?" Outside of that, everyone else is pulling together, and I'm not even saying Caspi is pulling apart and saying, "Screw these guys, I don't want to be part of this." He's going to management, or he's going to his agent, or he's you know, he's going to the coach and saying, look, I got a lot of riding on this. You know, I, I don't, this is not what's happened. I, I've never been a six minute a game or a DNP CD guy. I've never been that guy in the NBA. What exactly is happening? What do I do to get better? What do I do to get on the court for you? And that's the only guy that's struggling. Outside of that, this group is staying together really, really well. They're supporting DeMarcus really well. He's actually stayed out of trouble as much as possible. I fully expect the NBA to resend his technical from the other night that was just absolute trash against Myers Leonard. Um, and I also think that this is a team that's sort of, they're rallying behind that guy because they do all feel like he's not getting any calls and they're kind of getting jobbed. And so it's kind of a common thread that's pulling this group together. And I think it's interesting, but I do believe that they can be on the right path. They just need the ball to fall their way once or twice. That You just nailed it with that last statement. I mean, offense is, you know, everybody talks about defense, and I'm a huge defensive guy. I prefer defensive, you know, if I can pick a, a defensive player to an offensive player, I'm going to take the defensive guy almost every single time. But the way the offense happens it has so much to do with how players feel appreciated, how they they you know get after it on the other end. The, even the way that the shot is taken is going to dictate how your players rotate back and stop a fast break, and just the pacing of it all. It's so big, and I think they do have this new piece. It's a new piece because he's been out. Is Darren Collison? Yeah. 
will get in there and create a coherent offense where if the defense is scrambling and you miss a shot, you get better rebounding chances. They're not taking a rebound and looking down the court and seeing three streaking guys because they knew that the shot that was just taken was this terrible shot and the rebounders were definitely going to get the rebound and they knew it was okay to release and all of that. I mean, that's this is stuff the Warriors do. And, you know, for, for, the, for the Kings to be able to put a team on their heels offensively, it's just going to help everything. So I, what I would, you know, if I'm, you know, well, I guess I am because I took the over. Uh, if I'm hoping for the Kings, you know, to improve, I think that you want to maximize Collison and then, you know, start to, to get the rotation figured out. And, and I'm going to keep harping on this. you got to get Der- Garrett Temple on the floor. He is really – his defense is – he should be mentioned – in higher level defensive discussions than what we're hearing about. He's as good a perimeter defender as I'm seeing on film in the league today. He's not like at a Kawhi level or anything like that, but he's in that next tier below. Yeah, he's not that far below what people saw from Doug Christie a couple of, you know, eight, ten years ago. Right. He's, I mean, Doug was a, a top 10 defender in the league. No question. He was an all NBA defender, but Temple is a very, very good defender. And I'm not going to take that away from him. Um, I, I don't think he's nearly as reliable as a three-point shooter or anything else. Uh, I just I think he's a nice piece to have, especially when you need uh, an offense-defense set and you can go to – I even like a, like a combination. If you were to go really offensive, to go Collison, Temple, Gay, Caspi, and, uh, and Cousins – to really turn it up and have a high-end scoring capability. So I think we've seen a lot of mixing and matching from Jaeger. I think we're going to see a lot more mixing and matching from Jaeger. He said at the beginning of the season that everyone is going to be able to Monday morning quarterback him every single time because he has a lot of players and he's trying to figure them out and he's trying to figure out who fits into his defense and who fits into his offense and how he can score with this group or that group and how he can keep, now he knows, he knows for sure, he, he said it again to, uh, on Sunday, that he needs to be able to keep either Rudy Gay or DeMarcus Cousins on the field, on the court, the entire time. One of those two will be on the court every single minute of the game going forward as, as long as he can, can, he can help it. Uh, he understands that now where I think it took a little while. Um, but Aaron, I, I want to finish on one last topic here. And I haven't even looked it up to, to see the dynamics of it. But my first, okay, you know, Darren Collison has had this situation that's, that's so, sort of put him in a, in a negative light around, be, around the NBA, around, you know, with some fans. Um, but I, I have to ask the question. First of all, I think he makes everyone on this team better. And that's the first thing I saw. He made Willie Cauley-Stein better. He made everybody on this team better the moment he stepped back on the floor. It wasn't just Willie. It was everyone. Is this a time where you go to him? And and again, I haven't looked this up to see what the the semantics are for it. But that you offer him a three-year, $30 million deal? Um, you know, I'm all right with it. I, I think that, you know, everything's got to be looked at in a vacuum. Maybe these valuations aren't figured out at a uh, league level after the summer of spending. And, you know, what would a Darren Collison be worth in the new market? Probably something in the three year, you know, 12 million per 
and and you're probably onto something with that. It, it could end up being a pretty smart play because he is a you know he's a very athletic player. I don't think he's going to lose a step for the next three years. I mean, he'll lose a step, but he's he's kind of like Jamal Crawford in that I, I think that he's he's thin enough and and quick enough where his lost step is going to look a lot like I don't know like a previous you know Ty Lawson from four years ago type of a thing. Is you know we talk about how quick Ty is. But he definitely looks like he's lost a step. And and Collison, he, I would be fine three years, twelve per. Whether or not he's going to get more uh, after the season he's about to have, he's going to probably get more. So yeah, I don't I don't know if that is in the cards for the Kings right now. But um, here's Collison is going to have a big statistical season. It's going to be I think so pretty. Too. It'll be really nice for his fantasy owners. I know that for a fact. And that's going to push his value up. And whether or not he wants to stick around in Sacramento. You know, that would be another question to ask, um, you know, because he's probably going to want to go and win somewhere. And and it would just depend on what money he's making and, you know, how he feels about everything here in Sacramento. But, yeah, I would I would look at that. It, it's all about getting the contract, you know, the whole buy low thing. It, yeah, I, I, we've talked about it for five years on this podcast is, you know, if you feel like you've got a shot to do that, if you can get to Darren and say, hey, Darren, you know why not let's just remove all doubt from your future and you know let's get you locked up here and and that would uh i think that would be a win for the kings yeah and i think it's not only let's get you a contract that locks you up for the future but let's get some stability in sacramento in our backcourt where we know all of a sudden we're going to have a guy here for another three years as opposed to this summer not knowing what you've got so even if you go after a point guard in the draft you still don't know what you you're gonna get, and, and the fact is, Darren Collison can play off the bench. We already know that. Well, Darren, you get, you he can get do this, all kinds of things. You, you draft a point guard, and you do what they're gonna do in Minnesota with Chris Dunn, which is play him twenty minutes a game off the bench behind Ricky Rubio. Let them learn the game. Right now, Emmanuel Mudiay looks like a terrible basketball player, and it's you know, yeah, you want to give them the minutes and let them work through things. But sometimes that's you know you you want options in that regard, and, and me, they'll pull. They're with Moody. They are literally doing exactly what the Kings did with Tyreek Evans, where they're giving him free reign to do everything, and then all of a sudden, you don't want him to do all that stuff anymore, and that's what he set in his ways. And he already looked like Tyreek Evans as a player, and now you're he's he's basically becoming Tyreek Evans two and then to break him of that, it's going to be impossible. And I, I kind of feel the same way. I, I kind of feel and like this, this is what happens when you make a big bet on a on a point guard is you have to see that bet through for two to three years. So if you got the Chris Dunn bet, you've got three years to figure out if he can play the position. It's such an important position. And if you can stock it with a Jameer Nelson, which will be the next move that the the Nuggets make, and if Moody, if it doesn't happen. Soon, I mean, you know, basically Moutier will either work through his issues, which I don't think he will, or they're going to go to Jameer Nelson and say, give us 25 minutes a game as a starter. We'll move Moutier to the bench. But you have to see the bet through. And that's why drafting point guards high. I mean, yeah, there's some can't miss guys that you're obviously going to want to jump on. But, you know, the six, seven, eight range, depending on the draft strength, it's tough. So, yeah, I've, I've always been a fan of. If you can get a, a point guard that doesn't have a big name, you know, name recognition, if you can save money on the position, because Darren Collison can go give you a top 30 play at, a, at the point guard position, and you're going to spend somewhere in the ballpark 12 to 14 million on him. And somebody like Mike Conley's out there getting 
21 million or whatever he got. Oh, well, he got 20... max. Yeah, he got he's the highest paid player in the NBA. He'll be making 30 like, million a year. Your point about locking him up right now, and I don't know the logistics of that, but like he would you'd get a steal of a contract for Darren Collison right now. Um, yeah, three-year, 30, three-year, 36. I, I mean, those are the numbers that like pop into my head. And I think it it gives you the ability to draft a young player to bring him up like they are doing with with Papianis, uh, Scowl, and, and Malachi Richardson, who just played their first game in, in Reno on Sunday. Um, it gives you that opportunity to develop someone, plus to have a guy that you know can play off the bench – at the one, at the two, uh, he is a really good teammate. Despite what happened this summer, he is a very, very good teammate, and it, it just like gives you a peace of mind. And I'll also point out that the NBA salary cap going up to like what is it going to be a hundred eight million this year? Um, a, a ten or a twelve million dollar contract per year. We're looking at ten percent, ten percent of your salary cap. When you know that you're going to have to give Demarcus thirty million if he's staying, I just think it makes too much sense. Even if things go really haywire and you go through a bad three seasons of Kings basketball, where Darren Collison is one of your top two scorers and he's putting up eighteen to twenty points a night as your lead guard, and you got to build, you know, build the team back up around him. I still think he makes a lot of sense and. That I would, I would really, really be already having conversations with his agent and saying, "What can we do to get this done?" Because I think it makes a lot of sense. And the backlash might be there for for a lot of Kings fans that would be angry. But I mean, come on! I think we're learning right now that you can say or do whatever you want, and people eventually forget, right? Well, I mean, name me your your successful rookie point guards in the association. In there's, the first two years, there's like, none, and I would rather I mean, have like, him than Goran Dragic for seventy million over the next four years, or Ricky Rubio for like forty-eight million over the next three years. I mean, you're basically buying stocks. That's why the whole Isaiah Thomas discussion was so insane. Like, you're gonna buy this stock at eight mil. Like, what are you? What are you thinking? Like, what, seven you, you million. Could, it they could have com- had him. It could completely flame out, and you you just lost nothing. And that was the discussion that that confused a lot of people um yeah but, no uh, I, I mean you're right you gave away an asset for nothing and now that asset is worth you know i don't know probably 17 million 18 million a year at least well the point is too is you're not you're not throwing a dart like when you get when you draft somebody even if you draft Kyrie irving i mean there was a little while there where Kyrie irving didn't look like he might have the goods you know to be a number one pick to be a guy that you would rearrange your franchise around. And he's proven that he's that guy now, but it wasn't always, you know. He proved it, it in the playoffs. I don't think he proved, he proved it in the playoffs. In the regular season, he didn't prove it. I, it was in the playoffs he, that he proved it. He proved it in the playoffs, and, you know, good for him. And 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 that's just, you know, you like to see players come through. Um, but, yeah, you don't want to be throwing darts at that particular position. It's like that and center, you know, because centers are so rare, you know, dominant centers. You don't want to go. Oh, I'm going to spend 30 million on the center position and get Joe McIlvain or you know whatever the the example is. And then at the point guard <laughs> position, you have Timothy Mozgov. <laughs> you have 20 really good point guards in this league. And so, you know, if what's the difference between the number 20 and the number 10? 
And so why are we investing a lot of money in that gap? That gap is small. You don't want to invest a lot of money in that gap. If, if, Gar- if Darren Collison is the 20th best point guard in the league, why not invest in that? Save your 10 million and go spend it somewhere else. I mean, stuff, it's stuff we look at fantasy leagues all the time. I mean, I hate to compare the two, but it is kind of the same. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you can guarantee that, that his numbers will be pretty solid throughout a three-year contract. I don't think there's any question about that. And the other thing is, you know, the Kings have so many free agents this summer. I mean, the potential for Tolliver and, uh, and Tolliver, Barnes, and Aflalo. Uh, Barnes can opt out himself if he would like, which I don't see him doing. Aflalo and, uh, and Tolliver are team options. So there's three. But then on top of that, you have Ben. You have Omri. You have Darren. So now we're looking at six. The roster turnover already at six. And that's huge. And, you know, two years, you know, Cousins won't be a free agent next summer, but the summer after that. If you want any continuity... Oh, and I forgot. Oh, excuse me. Rudy Gay. Rudy Gay is a free agent this summer. And so that puts you at four guaranteed free agents, another three that could possibly be free agents. That's a train wreck. Again, you, you don't want to keep doing this. Oh, Ty Lawson, there's five. You don't want to keep doing this every single year where you're trying to add eight players during training camp and trying to figure out eight new faces or seven new faces. That is not continuity. That's not the way that the, uh, the Memphis Grizzlies did it. It's not the way the San Antonio Spurs did it. Uh, it it's just not the way. So it's not the way to build a franchise, to switch coaches and to switch players every single year. So I I think there's something to that. All right, so Aaron, we can't stay up all night and keep doing this. Uh, Just so people know, um, we're making an executive decision. We're trying to move the podcast to Monday morning release. It's just the way that the schedule works out. There are so many Thursday night, Friday night games in the NBA that it makes it very difficult for Aaron and I to get together to do this. Um, But we're going to try to push it to uh, Sunday Sunday night recording with a Monday morning release, something like that. Uh, it's a work in progress. I apologize that we've kind of been hit and miss on our on our Friday morning release, um, but you have to know that you know when I'm up until one o'clock, two o'clock, just trying to get home after a game on Thursday nights, that it's nearly impossible to get something for Friday morning. So, Aaron, do you have any final thoughts? I do. You know, the Kings are sitting here at four and seven and they're looking at five games, including San Antonio, the Clippers, the Raptors, the Thunder and the Rockets. These are three of the top teams in the NBA to start that group off with. And Oklahoma and Houston are very winnable games. So um, I think you're looking to try to win. No joke. One to two games. If you can get one to two games and just have good showings in those losses, especially against San Antonio, L.A., and Toronto. I think Kings fans should set that as some sort of a barometer of, hey, you know what, we came out of this, okay. And then beyond that is when you're looking to make your final push towards respectability, which is Brooklyn, Washington, Philly, and then a tough one with the, the, the Celtics, but then you get back into the easy stuff with the Knicks, Mavs, Knicks, and then you're kind of off into the into the bulk of the schedule. So try not to lose your... You're cool over the next five games uh, and just hope for solid play. 
and then uh, get on the other side of that and get going. Yeah, never too high, never too low. It is it is a uh, sort of something to live by during this King season and almost every King season, unfortunately. Hopefully, they will turn things around. Uh, but you can actually see where this could have been six and five, and then everyone in Sacramento is is celebrating and super excited to go run into this five game stretch. Which again, I keep calling murders row. It's brutal. It's going to be a very, very difficult stretch, and it just depends on how they respond to adversity. So far, they're staying together, and don't believe all the the stuff that you're going to read here and there about who's looking at who and who might want to go somewhere else and all that. Just let it play out and and sort of let it, you know, let this team simmer. Uh, lastly, I'm gonna I'm trying to avoid getting political as much as possible. But there's an NBA coach that I respect more than just about any NBA person in the league. And that's Greg Popovich. And uh, I think, number one, the the organization that they've built in San Antonio is the best in professional sports. Uh, I think it rivals the New England Patriots, and uh, which is sort of ironic about what I'm going to say about this. Um, but, uh, 36 out of 40 years, the San Antonio Spurs have been in the playoffs. They've won plenty of championships and the last 18 years under Popovich have been, I think it's 18, it's either 18 or 19 or 20. Uh, they've been absolutely incredible, but if you get a chance, uh, I'm someone who everyone knows has kids and I actually let my oldest listen to his conversation following the election. And I thought it was a brilliant conversation and captured a lot of the way that a lot of people feel in America. And again, not to get too political, I just think whether you're on whatever side you're on, it comes across as someone who is thoughtful and understands the world as a whole and looks at, uh, you know, a lot of different different aspects of this world that we live in. And so if you get a chance, look for Greg Popovich's conversation on the election and just sit back, and I think it's like six minutes long where he actually, it's a spoken conversation. You can actually listen to him, and I, I think it's brilliant. So uh, so that's my my thought for the week. I'm actually excited to see Popovich this week. He's always a great interview and uh, and a mean interview at the same time to certain people, and it, it's always fun for me. So, uh, So Aaron, do you have anything else really quickly? Yeah, um, you know, you can see that actually at our website, hoop-ball.com. Um, you know, I just think everybody, we can work through just about anything if as long as we take things slowly and we work through the issues and examine them closely before opening our mouth and sticking our foot in it. And that's really what people have, in my opinion, to do right now is seek first to understand, then to be understood and to really examine these issues closely and not let this become a cluster, you know what, where, you know, it devolves into yelling, screaming, name calling, Violence. et cetera, et cetera. It's yeah, it's really it's come down to that. And, and there are reasons that that is what it is. And, you know, you, you have to be able to layer your discussions and look at things in an orderly manner and get to the conclusions and then, you know, make your decisions from there. But um you know, I just think this more more than any time, you know, in recent memory is a time that you have to really think before you open your mouth. Yeah. Follow your moral compass, people. All right. So that's going to do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider podcast brought to you by Max Muscle. 
For Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you soon.